0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today it's Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844 44 ag That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, Ag PhD Media or Brian Hefty. All right, so to begin the show today, uh, before we get to the Ag PhD mailbag here, i just say, if you're in the northern part of the United States, or if you're up in Canada, odds are you have some snow around. And it's been a discouraging winter in a lot of areas. It's been cold. There's been a lot of snow. And so we start thinking, well, spring's never going to get here. (laughs) I'm only bringing this up because... We've felt the same way at our farm many times, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Uh-oh, spring's here! Now we got to go. What are we doing? We should have been hustling a little bit earlier." So I just encourage you, even though yes, there's probably some snow on the ground. Again, if you're in the northern part of the U.S. and up in Canada, I just tell you, hey, spring is right around the corner. We are in March now. We're not in January or February anymore. We're in March. So I just continue pushing forward, making your plans. Getting the equipment ready, everything else, because you want to be ready the day that things can go. One of the things that has happened to us many times over the years is if we're not fully ready to go, we do get a day or a couple days that we probably should have been going, we weren't ready, and then sure enough, we get rain in the middle, we get rain toward the end, whatever, and it's like, doggone it, if we just would have gotten started more timely, we'd have been done by the time this rain hit. And sometimes when that rain hits, it lasts a week or two, and all of a sudden, you plant so much later, your yield goes way down. It's just a lot of lost income. And I'm bringing this up today because, well, commodity prices are down, they're still pretty good, and there's still a great opportunity to make money on a lot of farms here in 2023. So I just want to encourage you, get ready to go. Spring's coming soon. And I just want you to be prepared. Okay, it's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, so a couple of days ago, I was out in Central South Dakota, speaking of the bunch of farmers out there, and there was one farmer I was talking to, and here was his question. It's Dave from Central South Dakota. And he sent me some soil tests here, but when, we, when I was talking to him, he said, yep, I got irrigated ground, 230 bushel corn. How come... This year, I'm seeing more P1 phosphorus than normal. He said, my P2 tests are about the same as they've been. Why would I be seeing more P1 phosphorus? And I said, how about you send me your soil test? Because I just kind of want to see what exactly is going on here. Because one of the things, all right, first of all, let's step back. P1 and P2, what we're talking about there is the Bray test for phosphorus, That will typically get run by labs, like Midwest Labs, who ran his tests here. That will typically get run by the labs when the soil pH is less than 7. The P1, or weak bray test, is going to tell you what's available today. The P2, or strong bray test, is going to tell you what's available today, plus what they believe will come available over the course of the next growing season. So just because your P1 is low does not necessarily mean your soil's bad, you're not going to have phosphorus available for this next year, things like that. It's just telling you, hey, this is available today, okay? So anyway, with his tests here, he has a range of 63 to 85 on a P2, all right? So that's not too bad. Um, I I mean, personally, when I'm going for it, and let's put it this way. If you've got irrigation and you already are getting 230 bushel corn, Let's start going for 300. I mean, at least going for 260, 270 and trying to figure out okay, what what do we need to do to get there? Because, I mean, if you have irrigation, then obviously water is not your yield limiting factor anymore. And out in central South Dakota, there's usually plenty of sunlight, not a lot of clouds. So that shouldn't be the yield limiting factor a lot of times it's fertility drainage, something like that. So let's talk this through a little bit. He's got as low as 14 parts per million on the P1 test and as high as 31. And I wouldn't say that ratio is real great at all, Dave, um, a lot of times what we'll see is the P1 will be half of the P2. So, yep, the the difference might have been more in the past. I don't know exactly why, Uh, but I I mean you don't have excessive levels of calcium. Your magnesium is getting pretty high, though. You've got 26 to 28% magnesium, and here's the other problem that I see in your soil tests. You've got 2.8 to 3% sodium. Now, that's not horrible, but The irrigation water you're putting on there, I'd like to know how much sodium we're pumping that way. But the other thing is, because your cation exchange capacity is around 20, it's fairly heavy ground, I'm just a little bit concerned about drainage. Now, I don't see that you're holding lots of nitrate or boron. And uh, I would say your sulfur levels are on the high side. So when we start talking about 40, 50 parts per million, then that, again, it's not... It's not excessive or anything else. In fact, that's what we're shooting for. But I'm just wondering if you've got a drainage problem in spots on your farm. So I've got four tests here, and I don't know what this is exactly, but I would just say this. If you're running one test per field, I'd really encourage you, at least this year, just take one field. And run one acre or two acre grids, and I know you're going to say, oh my goodness, that's expensive, but you can continue using Midwest Labs, I'd just tell you, use the Malik 3 test, it costs like $12. So you're not going to spend a fortune, and at least one time then, it's going to allow us to find out where our real problem spots in those fields are, and what's really going on. But... The potassium levels for, for Dave here are pretty good for the most part. He's got one spot or one field that's 3% base saturation K, so you got to bump that a little bit. And I'm still bumping that phosphorus. We were talking, we had a meeting with some farmers yesterday too, and we were just talking about how phosphorus is the driver for yield for the most part in corn. So if it's me, and I'm now going to be shooting for 300 bushel corn, which I'd recommend to you, Um, I'm pushing that phosphorus more. I really am. I'm not saving money on phosphorus. The other thing is what ties into phosphorus is zinc and copper for micronutrients. I want to get my my phosphorus to zinc roughly 10 to 1. So I'm trying to bump my zinc levels. You're at 1 part per million. I'm going to try to bump them to 5 at least. And my copper levels, we want somewhere around 30 to 1. So I'm going to bump that copper that's a half part per million up to at least two or three parts per million do that get a little boron out there as well and he should be in good shape and getting some higher yields stay tuned we'll be right back
2: Last year's fertilizer cost too much. This year's fertilizer still costs too
3: much. So maybe next year, maybe next year, instead of paying whatever the market dictates, you should find a new source. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the crop nutrients that are already in your soil so you can use less fertilizer and capture the yield you count on to turn a profit. I said to turn a profit. That's more like it. Learn more at sound.ag.
1: Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at Deerequipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator closing wheels from FarmShop MFG.
3: And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end-zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last. So order yours today at farmshopmfg.com.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Broadcasting today from the Morton studio, just getting excited about spring and uh, hopefully be hitting the fields in not too terrible long. Uh, we're going to jump to the phone lines right away here. we got Isaac calling in from down in North Carolina. Isaac, I bet you're uh, chomping at the bit, getting ready to be out in the field, huh?
4: Oh, yeah. It's... uh. Got all signs point to an early spring here in North Carolina.
0: Are things pretty dry out there?
4: Uh, we're drying out. You know, we we had a wetter winter, but I think we're just kind of major pattern change has helped us out. We've been we've been dry, then we had a wet spell. We're starting to dry out now, and uh, guys to started getting the field. I think the first planters will probably be going in about three weeks. Would be my best guess.
0: Corn planting corn first.
4: Uh, depends who you are. Uh, (laughs) corn and beans generally go in at the same time here.
0: Okay. So what do you do first on your farm?
4: Uh, we've been doing beans first the last two years. Not a, not a huge, it's not as though we plant hundred percent of the beans, but the bean planter gets going first and then the corn planter gets going and generally the bean planter finishes up before the corn does.
0: So how have the early beans been compared to the later planted beans?
4: Uh, as a i would say on a five-year average a lot better last year was a little bit different where the double crop beans they really held their own and there were some tremendous double crop yields uh, that i think the we had a favorable august and that usually is the key for bean yields, it seems
0: like. Now, I don't know where you're at in North Carolina, but as I've talked to farmers down in the Southeast before, they just say, hey, we get kind of worried about fall hurricanes and things like that and weather and everything. So is that a big consideration for you and one of the reasons why you're trying to push beans earlier, or, or is there some other driver here?
4: Uh, there's there's a couple of factors. I think yield, yield is always the driver. Uh, we've seen the earlier planting, especially the earlier maturing beans. We've seen a lot better yields out of them. That fall weather is a factor for us. We're in the way Eastern part of the state. So we're right in, right in hurricane alley. Yep. And so we don't want to let them when they get close to ready, uh, desiccation has been part of our program for the last couple of years and, uh, we'll push beans a little bit harder, run them through the dryer that just, when it's, when it's in the eighties and nineties, it doesn't take very long for them to deteriorate if they're out in the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I've heard from a lot of the guys out there. All right, so I, I know you've done really well with corn yield contests in the past. Do you have a couple of things that you say, hey, I'm doing this, I don't see a lot of other people doing these things, and it's leading to higher yield for me? Or what kind of program are you running that that uh, really pushes yield for you?
4: I think for us, we're going back really evaluating our tissue samples over the last couple of years, and we noticed – Soluble potash has been something that we've added in our program just where as you push those higher yields, you need to push your nitrogen rates. Well, you've got to keep that plant balanced. Right. We noticed that the K levels were always falling behind. So that's one that we've really keyed in there. And then, of course, the micronutrients, uh, they're small in size, but not small in importance.
0: Right. So do you have lighter soil then and the potash leaches away, or what's the problem with the with the K?
4: It varies high rainfall rates. We have generally a pretty good CEC, uh, sandier spots generally leach away, but it really, it's more about when you look at crop removal rates and as you move up that yield chart, you're, (laughs) you're hauling those pounds off the field and you got to put them back.
0: Yep. takes a lot of fertility. Okay. So is there one or two micronutrients that's really made a big difference for you?
4: Uh, boron has been a big deal for us and then also manganese uh, our soils are naturally low in manganese and certainly the tie-up problems with the glyphosate and some of those other things that's another one that we got to really focus on to make sure it's where it needs to be
0: is there something like a soil test level you're looking for with manganese is it a tissue test level how do you judge how much manganese you should be getting out there
4: both, we're going to look at our soil test levels, and there's a baseline that we're going to we're going to maintain. And if we have to supplement, we'll come back and supplement with a product, you know, something along the lines of manganese sulfate. But sure. then, as we go through the end season, it's going to, it's just part of our program. There's going to be some foliar manganese products that we put in as we go.
0: Is there a certain timing on foliar manganese that you really like in corn? I think piggybacking
4: is is a big deal. We want to make sure, obviously. You know, we all want to focus on tassel, but that early season uh, ear development, B four, B six, it matters then. And then also, we want to we don't want to see it tail off as we move through the the later R stages. You know, the game tassel is only halftime, and there's a lot more to do yet.
0: Yeah. Well, Isaac. This is great stuff. I, I really appreciate you sh- sharing your insights. We're always trying to figure out how to get better on corn, just like about everybody else is out there too. Uh, the crop prices are pretty good, but we got to have the bushels to make this whole thing pay. So, anyway, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate you calling in. You're welcome. All right, let's go next out to the state of Wisconsin. Got Dick calling in from out there. Hey, Dick, how are you today? Good. How's yourself, Brian? Not too bad. I'm just win- wishing that winter would get done, and I assume where you are, you get a bunch of snow yet, too, right?
2: Yeah, we got about, uh, I would say, five inches on the ground, and it's melting really slow, and the maple sap is running heavy. So it looks like spring's coming.
0: <laughs> yep, it's going to get here soon. So what are you working on right now on your farm?
2: Uh, some of the machinery and, and plans for planting what we're going to do. In case we had an open January that we had no frost or anything and no no snow cover, so it might have affected the alfalfa and the winter wheat. So we got to kind of plan around that, what we're going to do if, if it does kill like the alfalfa, because we need it on the dairy.
0: Okay, so, so. so what do you do then? Are you going to have to take some other fields? You were thinking about going to corn or soybeans or some other crop and seed some alfalfa again this spring or what?
2: Yep. We'll see the alfalfa and oats and peas as a um, emergency crop.
0: Oats and peas is an emergency crop, not not a uh, a cover or anything like that. So you'll actually no, ra- just, go, go just ahead.
2: For, for feed. For feed. Yeah.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Do you raise much winter wheat? I didn't think there was a whole lot of winter wheat in your area.
2: N- not really, no. There are some but not not a lot. Very few. Mostly corn, soybeans, um, well, then alfalfa around the dairies.
0: Sure. Yep, yep. So anything new and different you're thinking for for your farm here this spring when we talk about those crops, corn, soybeans, alfalfa?
2: Uh, we're planning, right now we're planning on to put um, more corn for silage <laughs> and for dry corn for grain for the animals. So that's that, that crop's going up, but the soybeans are going to go down.
0: So why is there more demand for feed? Are you just worried that the alfalfa is not going to be there and some of these things aren't going to pan out? Or or why do you need more feed?
2: Well, we're running a little low on silage, so we're planning to put more in.
0: Yeah, last year crop was short in a lot of areas. And so I I think, well, we can obviously see what the crop prices are doing. They're holding pretty good. So that just tells you there's a lot of demand for that.
2: Yep dry, both for dry corn and um, in the area where the dairies are, they take a lot of silage. All right. So you can grind up a lot of silage for, for the animals.
0: All right. So you're talking about silage. We're raising a bunch of silage on our farm too, but we haven't done a whole lot over the last, let's call it 30 years. So what are your top couple of tips you'd have for raising more tonnage as opposed to on the grain corn side and just raising more grain? Is there anything you do different for that silage corn?
2: Uh, Where the silage corn is, we try to get a lot of manure put on those fields and try to work it in, you know, before the frost comes. And then during the winter months, we spread on those fields quite a bit. So we get more heavier um, tonnage off them.
0: So for you, it's about pushing more nitrogen earlier in the season then, from the way it sounds. That's correct. Yeah, yep. that's one of the things we've been talking about on our own farm here, too, because for the grain corn, a lot of people in our area have gone to, hey, we're going to put a bunch of nitrogen out up front, but we're going to mid-season put a whole bunch more at at that timing, which does seem to work well for grain, but the plants aren't getting as tall. And (laughs) then you don't end up with as much tonnage. So, yeah, it can be a big deal. Yeah, you you want
2: good tonnage on, on silage little bit taller corn nice cobs on them yep and uh that that helps where to put heavier concentration of manure on
0: all right hey thanks for the info dick appreciate you calling in have a great day
2: no problem thanks much brian you bet bye all
0: right stay tuned we'll be right back with more ag phd radio
1: Officer Jones, calling for backup.
2: Send four. Location.
1: Kraber, back forty. Looks like we've got Palmer amaranth, kochia, some common water hemp.
2: Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending Tough Five EC. Come out with your hands up.
5: Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough Five EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com.
1: Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection.
0: to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, the number is 844 44 ag That's 844-442-4743. It's what Charlie did. He's calling in from Iowa. Hey Charlie, how are things down in Iowa? Still looking a uh, little white with snow down there?
6: Um, uh, Actually, we had an inch and a half of rain earlier this week, so it kind of took the snow away.
0: Well, I, I would assume you think that's a pretty good thing, right?
6: Well, yeah. I wish it, <laughs> the ground was thought out, but uh, that's
0: the way it is. Yep, yep, that's for sure.
6: I'm, act- I'm actually speaking to you from Arizona today.
0: Oh, really? Uh, do, you, do you go down there every winter or what?
6: No, I'm down there for medical reasons. I go to Mayo Clinic down there. So.
0: Oh, wow. I'll well, be back
6: in Iowa tomorrow. So. All
0: right. Well, we we sure hope you're doing well with the uh, the medical thing.
6: Yep, yep. We're doing good.
0: Good, well good. So, um yeah, a little warmer down in in Arizona certainly than than in Iowa. So, what you, what are you thinking about as we go into 2023 here on your farm? What you got any big concerns? Are you super excited about this year? What are, what are your thoughts in general?
6: Well, I get pretty excited about every year. You know, when the spring comes, you get excited, but you know, we have some concerns with our uh input costs this year. mm mm-hmm. Mhm and the markets you know aren't bad yet but the the difference between cash and and fall new crop is quite different it sure is so yeah we have some quite yeah we have some good concerns and i think all farmers are thinking about these things
0: yeah uh With the input cost side of things, I mean, interest rates are up. At least fuel costs have been coming down. Fertilizer's been coming down. So, I mean, there's some good news out there. I'm certainly hoping ag-chem prices come down a little bit going into next year. But, yeah, for this year, they were just a little higher. Other than Roundup and Liberty, they're down a little bit. But, anyway, are you you thinking of doing anything different like crop rotation at all? Or are you going to stick with what you normally do, corn, soybeans, that kind of thing?
6: Well, we grow corn, soybeans, and seed corn. Uh, we grow quite a, lot, quite a few acres of seed corn. So we grow a little more corn and beans just because of the combination of commercial corn and seed corn. But we're going to stick basically with the same thing that we've had before.
0: Hey, let me ask you, since you are raising seed corn, there's been a lot of talk about this Roundup hybridization system and spraying Roundup multiple times on the seed corn, even late in the year and stuff. I mean, are you doing any of that on your farm?
6: Um, you know, on the seed corn end, we don't know a lot about it yet, and we don't won't even know what hybrids we're growing. Uh, they, you know, they keep that all pretty proprietary and pretty quiet, even though we're the growers.
0: <laughs> uh, so what do they do? Just give you the yeah. seed and tell you, hey, go plant it. Here's the date we want you to plant it. And then they, they kind of take over from there?
6: It's it's pretty much, yeah. You 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 plant uh, not when you want to, when they want to. And they, we're plant, dealing with inbreds, so they don't want you planting the first day you can get in the field. Right. They want the soils warmer because they don't have the vigor that the hybrids have. Right, And then, the, you know, the, there's a lot of difference in, you know, it's just like germination, all that stuff, and the cold temperature's different, and they have all that seed tested for all that ahead of time. So that all makes a difference in when they'll let you plant.
0: So, so is this irrigated ground then? No, no.
6: No, we're all dry land. We're in the northern part of Iowa. Yep. And, uh, yep. So, no, we're all dry land, uh.
0: Yeah. And the reason why I was asking, and granted, I know your area in Iowa and you typically get lots of rainfall and everything, but a lot of the seed corn companies had moved to trying to get a, a bunch more under irrigation here over the last 10, 15 years or so. So that's why I was curious about that. So anything else that the, like for seed corn production, anything that they tell you to do different, like fertility or just anything you're doing with the soil?
6: Uh, fertility is one of the things they watch very closely, which we watch very closely ourselves. Um, tiled ground, which, uh, yep. they don't have a problem with on that. Um, people ask me, how can you buy a high price farm and tile it? I said, that's the only way I can buy a <laughs> high price farm. I have to tile it. Yep. Uh, because I got to get the most production out of that farm I can. And we're like 30 miles from Albert Lee, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're up in the north central and we have some pretty black soils and drainage. If you don't have drainage, you've got a mess. You don't have a crop.
0: So are there like county main tile lines that you get to hook into?
6: Yes. In some of the districts, uh, we have a lot of farms of our own that are in drainage districts. Um, these drainage districts still are getting somewhat overloaded because they were put in back in the 30s. Yeah and people back then would tile the low ground or put a tile on each side of the draw.
0: You call it good.
6: When we buy a farm yep. now, we go in and tile 60-foot spacings from one fence to the other.
0: Yeah. So what do you think will happen so, with that? At some point, are they going to have to put in bigger tile lines, or, or what do you predict?
6: This is what I've been telling people for quite a while, that that's what's going to have to happen. And of course, you know, these are usually larger tile and, and tile, all tile costs went up. But when you get into some large tile, you're really talking money. We put in some 24-inch there about four years ago. Or and, and, and you're, When they get to putting in these new means, people are going to understand what it costs to tile ground.
0: Yeah. So is that just on your tax bill every year? That's part of your real estate tax, isn't it? There's a tax for the the, the drainage district?
6: No, you get assessed for any improvements, or or uh, if they have a blod or something. Then they, yep. if there's not enough money in the account, then everybody that's in that district gets assessed.
0: Yep. Okay.
6: So it's a, it's a different assessor. It's not just part of your property
0: taxes. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, hey, uh, Charlie, we want to wish you the best of luck this year on the farm, and then also certainly when you're uh, spending a little time with the medical thing down in Arizona. There, so hope things turn out great for you.
6: Okay, well, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for calling in. Yep, bye.
0: Again, it's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to jump right back into the Ag-PHD mailbag here. Got one in from, and again, this comes from when I was out in central South Dakota just a couple of days ago. This one's from Kyle. He says, uh, talking about seven for stem weevils and sunflowers. Um, are you talking about? So, you had mentioned that at, at this meeting. Are you, are you talking about 7XLR plus? Uh, and I see the rate is like a quart to a quart and a half. I just wanted to see what you recommended for the rate. All right. So, Kyle, first of all, seven, honestly, in all the years I've been an agronomist, it's been a long time now, I've never recommended seven to any farmer ever for in-crop use. And I'm not saying won't work, can't work, anything like that. It's just a little bit weaker than a lot of the other options that we've had. But if you take a look at some of the products that used to get used in sunflowers, they're gone now. So I think about stem weevils. This is one of the first insects I ever knew about in sunflowers back when I was in college and worked for FMC. Um, I had to go into North Dakota where they were having problems with stem weevils in the early fall. And what it had amounted to is people had used furidan at planting time, and that was supposed to control the stem weevils. So, and for anybody unfamiliar with stem weevils, it's a weevil, and then it's going to lay eggs... Inside the stem, and then there will be a worm that's going to hollow out the inside of the stem. Well, I just remember cutting open a lot of stems, and it's like, ah, no. These these things are pretty hollowed out here. This isn't real good. Those stem weevils did a number on it. The Furidan didn't work great. Well, honestly, Furidan was just a suppression product. Uh, The stem weevils usually come in the early to mid-summer, and... You know, to think that, hey, this furidan was going to last for a couple of months, eh, maybe a little bit unrealistic. But anyway, so furidan has been off the market for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that. Lorsban is now off the market as well. So now that's why people are asking about seven. Well, if you here, here's the thing. This is kind of like most bugs that we have out there in our crops, you want to get you wanna be scouting on a very regular basis. And if you see the bug move into your field at all, you gotta get spraying it immediately. And can you use seven and, and it can kill some weevils in the weevil stage? Yes, you're probably gonna to wanna to be up at that quart and a half, and it's really expensive, like 27 bucks an acre. So not a lot of people are gonna pull that trigger, but if you're scouting and you see them, you want to kill those weevils immediately before they get the chance to lay eggs. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag right after this.
5: It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutritia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com.
4: With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
3: What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and
5: high prices for nitrogen is Envita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Envita
3: works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans.
1: Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Envita. (laughs) That's what I was going to recommend.
5: Book your Envita while supplies last.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, our next email here comes from Stephen, who says, "Uh, I've been spraying Trimic Classic Broadleaf Herbicide using a grasshopper hooded sprayer, and he attached a picture. (laughs) It it basically looks like uh, a lawnmower with a... Uh, hooded sprayer in front of it that's not very wide. I'd say it's, call it six feet wide, something like that. Anyway, he says here, great for windy days and next to flowers. Larger window for application during the fall as well. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, he was commenting here on some stuff we had. We were talking about dandelion control on the show, and. I, I just say, Stephen, yes, um, your your hooded sprayer makes an absolute difference. I would just encourage you to keep this in mind, though. When we start talking about Trimec, and any time you have a Dicambo or 2,4-D, one of those growth regulators in there, we're always still worried about volatility. So, well, you've pretty well solved your drift issue with the the hood and the hooded sprayer that's great but it's still possible for certain chemistries even that trimate classic to pick up and move later on so i would still be a little bit concerned about that i'm I mean, I would just be a little careful where you're using it, when you're using it, that kind of thing. And you can always switch to something else, too. So, for example, we've had a lot of people switch over to Freelix now. That's the new 2,4-D that doesn't have all the volatility issues. So just something for you to think about. But, yes, uh, it's a good idea to do anything you can to reduce overall spray drift. All right. Next one here is from Andrew and he's got kind of a long email here, so I'll just I'll try to summarize fairly quickly. He says, I'm going to be experimenting with some seed graphite and talc products this year, and he's looking at trying a couple different products, and uh, his question is, is putting these nutrients on the seed of any concern for seed safety, as well as does one product or the other look better to you? Uh, are there any tweaks to the system that you think I should do? Uh, so, so basically, here's... Where he's at, these couple of products he wants to try, yes, talc and graphite. But on top of that, uh, the one product has calcium, sulfur, cobalt, copper, iron, manganese, molybdenum, zinc. The other one has a lubricant, zinc, iron, manganese, and let's see, I uh, I'm not sure what the other couple of things are. (laughs) He says mannanase and lipase, but I I mean not. Not nutrients like we would normally talk about anyway. So I I, I just say this, Andrew, we always are going to get concerned when you put nutrients directly on the seed. Now, granted, the concentrations here are going to be pretty low. So it's not like I'm super worried about it, but let's put it this way. By very definition, fertilizer is salt. And especially if you have lighter soil... And dry conditions, or even one or the other. Let's say it's heavy ground and dry conditions. I'm I'm going to be a little bit concerned because he says he's up in North Dakota here. Oh yeah, it does say 25 CEC soil, so it's not so it's heavy ground, but um, it it's a drier area of the United States. On top of this, he says he's using a couple gallons. Per acre of Progerm, a couple of Sure K, a couple of quarts of Micro 600, and then some biologicals as well. So am I going to be a little bit concerned about this, especially because of all the other things you're putting out there? Yes. And and you're dealing with some low salt fertilizers. So on corn, I'm not super worried about those, but you keep adding more nutrients to the seed here. And yeah, I guess I'd be a little bit concerned. Now, I know a lot of people have been trying some of these things. For many people, it's worked out okay. But I'll put it to you this way. I'm probably more conservative than most out there because I just don't want you to have anything go wrong. So I would definitely walk before I run on this deal. And hopefully it turns out okay. Uh, Let's see. I... I had some other – oh, yeah, I got some soil tests or some uh, – let's see. He sent along some more information on these products. Uh, looks like a, a couple Lime application maps, uh, a lot of things. So anyway, Andrew, if you've got more specific questions, anything else that we can help you with, we're certainly more than willing to, to do that. But, yeah, I, I I would just recommend to you that you, you take it easy, only do the – this talc graphite mix stuff on a few acres. And if you want to try both products, that'd probably be my suggestion. Just uh, just don't get carried away on acres. All right, next one here is from Mike. He says, I got a 50-acre field in my family that's been rented out for the past 15 years until I, for- I started farming it last year. Now I grew 41 bushel soybeans, and it's gonna be corn this year. It's corn soybean rotation. I spread 150 pounds of DAP, 100 pounds of potash, and some sulfur last fall. I'm planning on 220 pounds of urea this spring, and then some ammonium sulfate and urea at V5. There is some tile in the low areas. Would, what would you recommend for Inferrow starter to help it out this year? I'm installing totally tubular on my planter. And where should I start improving the soil? I can't do everything it needs all at once, but I do plan on farming this for years to come, so I want to get started. Uh, all right. So first of all, Mike, we, regardless of what that soil test says, on our farm, we're always using at least some liquid fertilizer. And here's the reason why. Because I don't know when rain's going to hit. I don't know how wet that soil is going to be a few weeks after we plant. And I want to make sure I've got nutrients available now. I, I, you don't have to get carried away, but we'll use some low rates of low salt products. Well, like our uh, the last email that just came in, he's using pro progerminator and sure K from Maggro Liquids, the same stuff that we use, and then uh, a blend of micronutrients. We're just again running real low rates, but still, we've got some out there. It's available now. It's low salt, so I feel pretty good about that. So, I'm fairly comfortable with that as much as I can. I we try to keep that off the seed with these low salt products, you can probably get some on the seed, and it's it's not a real big concern, but the further away from the seed you can be, the more rate you can use. Okay, so then I look at the soil tests, and I, I would just say this for everybody who's listening. If you're doing composite soil tests, in other words, if let's say, well, like in his case, he's got a 50-acre field. If you just go around the field, pull some soil tests, and mix them all together, um, you are going to most likely get misled. And here's what I mean by this. And this, his field is a great example. His cation exchange capacity ranges from about 7 to 31. So 7 is sand. 31 is super heavy soil. <laughs> you do not want to farm your sand the same way as you're farming super heavy ground. He also has ranges like on potassium. I mean, are there areas in the field that are okay? Um, Well, they're they're at least better than others. He's at 4.6% base saturation KN1 and and as high as, let's see, he's got 200 parts per million is as high on potassium, but he's also as low as 23 parts per million on K. So I, I guess, Mike, I would just tell you this. If you can do some variable rate cuz you said hey you spread 150 of DAP, 100 of potash and you know some of these things. If you just did a blanket spread across the whole field, I mean I understand, that's simple and easy and it to me looks like your entire field does need PK. Okay. So, you certainly didn't do wrong by doing that. But I would tell you this, you've got some areas that are really low on certain nutrients and it would help if you invested a few more dollars in those areas. So I mean in some of these spots the the phosphorus he's as low as 3 parts per million on P1 phosphorus or 7 on a on an Olsen well I mean it's just it's really really low so I'm going to push that a little more there Now, here's the other thing, Mike. We were just talking with a group of farmers yesterday, and and we were talking about this exact scenario where we said, okay, we got a field that's testing low, and we we can only afford so much fertilizer. So we're going to do something like you did, 150 of DAP, 100 of potash. And that's okay. But when I've got a lot of this field testing really low on P&K, that's where I might bump those rates of my starter fertilizer just a little bit more. So something for you to think about. And then as you get time and money, uh, and this doesn't cost much, but you wanna address your zinc, your copper, your boron, all those things are low out there. Don't forget about sulfur to go along with your nitrogen. So I know it's a lot of stuff to work on, but you'll get there eventually. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. It's planting season. Race against the clock season.
1: Mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gameground. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, I'll repair!
3: This whole midnight ride thing is getting really- Well the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict herbicide. Verdict herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, oh, well then, get some sleep.
5: Yeah, well do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict herbicide! Always read and follow label directions!
1: Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, NewFarm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com/slash US Crop.
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty here on a Farmer Friday. We're going to jump right back into the Ag PhD mailbag. So, this next one comes from John down in Kansas. He says, "Guys, I've got a bunch of soil tests for you if you'd like to take a look at them. I just want to get your recommendations." I have an idea where I want to go, and I've been working on it the last couple of years, but it's a slow process, uh, mainly dollars is what it comes down to. So anyway, his crop is going to be corn. He says his yield goal, uh, 130 maybe. He says we haven't grown corn for a number of years, so we aren't sure what to shoot for, though sorghum on this field will yield between 110 and 120. Previous crop was wheat with the cover crop following. So I'd just be interested in your throw the kitchen sink at it rec and your need to do this at a minimum rec. all right uh john that is real common a lot of people are like all right what do we need to do to fix everything and then it's usually oh boy that was that's going to cost some money so what can i get by with for this year so let's talk this through just a little bit all right so first of all uh, what he's dealing with is heavy soil he's got 25 to 28 cation exchange capacity so that's pretty heavy soil Uh, one of the nutrients, the nutrient that I almost always look at first is potassium because we see a lot of potassium shortages. Although I will say this, we see fewer potassium shortages in Kansas than we do in a lot of other areas. So just as an example here, his base saturation potassium is as high as 5%. So he's got some areas out in this field that are pretty good. But he's also as low as 1.7% base saturation K, which, John, I can promise you, that is hurting your yield. So you want to get that that up just a little bit. Um, all right, the other thing that I see that really stands out to me here is you've got really high calcium levels. And, okay, so he's as high as, let's see, I think I got the highest here, yeah, uh, it looks like 19,000? Yeah, 19,600 parts per million on calcium. Almost certainly what you're dealing with is excess lime, And because of that, it's going to skew your data. So where I was just talking about, hey, you've got some potassium levels that are pretty low on a base saturation test. Well, if in that area you're... Uh, your calcium is really high then that could be skewing the data so just as an example here he's got 1.7 percent base saturation k i told you was his lowest in the field but in that same spot what we see is he he has 172 parts per million of of potassium which isn't that high i'd i'd probably still be getting more out there but his calcium eighty nine hundred and seventy parts per million so just a week ago, we had Neil Kinsey here and a number of consultants that, that work with him. And we talked a lot about this cation displacement test that that he runs, or at least it's run at, uh, at Perry Ag Labs. And the idea is to take out This free calcium that's in the soil that's excess, and so like for example, we have our soils tested at Midwest Labs. They don't run a cation displacement test, but they do run an excess lime test. And when I see excess lime, then immediately I know, oh, that's going to skew the data. And even though it says nine thousand parts per million on calcium, realistically, I probably have four or five thousand that are actually attached to the soil. So that's just one of the things that I'm throwing out here because it absolutely is going to skew the data a little bit. Now, and that's the reason why we have these calcium levels that are 90 to 95%. So it makes your magnesium look incredibly low as well. But I will say this, your magnesium is pretty low to start with. You've got magnesium tests here as low as 82 parts per million. Um that's, or sorry, 79 parts per million. That is not much. So if it's me, and since I'm going to put potassium in many areas in this field, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for something like K-Mag, all right? So as far as soil pH goes, the soil pH is in the 7s. Why is it in the 7s? Because we've got all this excess calcium out there. A lot of times we'll see, oh, it's excess sodium or excess magnesium or something like that. In this case, it's literally just excess calcium. So what a lot of people will do in your situation over time is, number one, they're taking a look at drainage. So I've got a, there's a field that we used for our soils clinic as an example. It's uh, just across the border in Minnesota. And over a six year period, the farmer took soil tests very similar to yours, 10,000, 12,000 parts per million on calcium. Over the six years, he dropped it down to five, 6,000 parts per million, something like that. Get rid of the excess calcium. And it all really came back to drainage fix that drainage and now you can start flushing out the excesses out of that soil now you may need some sulfur to go along with that to bind up with that calcium make it a salt flush it out Uh, but you got to get some magnesium out there and like i say in some areas you definitely want to get some potassium out all right in terms of phosphorus you got 21 parts per million up to 63 parts per million and i'm assuming this is a malik 3 test i don't see any different here but uh down in kansas they're usually running malik 3 tests so for me i'm going to tell you that's pretty low it's not like crazy low or anything, but definitely where you're at the 20 to 40 parts per million, you need to get some more phosphorus out there. Now, beyond that, we usually start looking at, okay, sulfur. Yep. You're kind of low on sulfur. Boron, you're low. Uh, Copper is not too bad. On average, you're 1.8 parts per million. So not bad. Zinc, two parts per million. You definitely want to bump that up. A lot of times on zinc, we're talking, hey, we want to get that ratio of phosphorus to zinc somewhere around the 10 to 1 kind of thing so if let's say we're at uh, 50 to 100 parts per million that means i want to be at least somewhere around four or five parts per million on zinc so i'm spending a little bit of money there so some those are some of the things that i would encourage you to work on i'll also say this because when people hear us go, well, you got to do P and K and zinc and boron and all these different things. It's like, oh my gosh, how much am I supposed to spend? But when you get to those micronutrients, they are really inexpensive to do things like zinc sulfate. You you put out a little bit of zinc sulfate, you can raise your level pretty quickly. Uh, same thing with copper sulfate. So it does not take much. So those are some of the things that I would encourage you to work on. And again, you got free calcium out there and that's really kind of skewing a lot of things all right next one here comes from brian from new york and he says hi guys great show i'm not a farmer just a new homeowner that's been working on my one acre kentucky bluegrass yard for five years now (laughs) first year or two it was all good then grubs hit and i had to start over again and replanting grass and get the grubs under control uh i I'm, i'm close now on that uh I can't believe it's been five years since uh, I've been working on this lawn. But anyway, he says now he's trying to work on weeds. And when I go to a, uh, a store to buy herbicide, it's, well, basically, in not in his words, but in mine, I'll just say watered down stuff. Yes, I get that. He also, at the end here, says uh, it's kind of sad that a lot of these landscape people don't seem to know a whole lot about how to make my lawn better. Um, Brian, I just say this. Every year uh, around your yard, it's going to take some work. First of all, we're always putting out um, imidacloprid and you want to water that in. We do it dry. We we do that in the spring every year. We water it in with at least an inch of rain. That's going to give you control on grubs and When you have grubs under control, then that means you don't have moles or a lot of the things that feed on those grubs going into your lawn either. Uh, With imidacloprid, it will also kill a number of other insects as well. Plus, on top of that, we're usually going around uh, any of our houses spraying Tempo. That's, by the way, labeled to spray inside and outside a house. So you want to keep those bugs under control, even if it's just spiders, crickets, ticks, I mean, there there are all kinds of bugs that can be around your place. So that's that's one of the things that I would say, and I know it's a little bit of work. I'm, I, I mean, literally, like around any of our places, we're spraying or, or spreading imidacloprid in the spring. We're spraying Tempo at least two or three times during the season. Okay, in terms of the weed control, I would tell you, yes, um, a lot of times we are spraying multiple times. We're typically advising people to use Freelix. And you can go get that at an ag chemical retailer, not at some hardware store, because you are going to get old 2,4-D at the hardware store most likely, and it's going to be watered down. And you're probably going to spend just as much as you would on the Freelix. What Freelix is, it's the new 2,4-D that doesn't have all the volatility of the old 2,4-D, so that's typically what we're recommending for broadleaf control. Now in terms of like annual grass control, the biggest thing that I usually tell people is just don't cut your grass so short. If you keep your grass tall, you fertilize it well, you're controlling the bugs and the broadleaf weeds and everything else, then the grass can do well. It can usually choke out annual grasses. There are some, uh, I mean, a few grass herbicides that could be used like pendulum and stuff. But anyway, typically you don't have to do that if you just make your grass as good as possible with these other uh, management practices all right before we go just want to say thanks to my sister janelle she was uh, running the controls and producing the show today And thanks to you for listening and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio